Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. I have a great new product you have to check out. It's my really good friend, Rich Redman. He's been on the show twice, and you may know him as Jason Aldean's drummer. And he's actually in L.A. this week, and he's uh, playing the Bonzo Bash, which is a big tribute. Some of the best drummers in the country are doing tribute to Led Zeppelin's drummer, John Bonham. Well, Rich has a new digital product that's amazing. If you're a drummer or if you know somebody who is a drummer, you got to check this out. It's called Drumming in the Modern World. And what's great about it is it shows you how to play the drums better. It shows you some of Rich's great drum solos. And it also shows you how to navigate the music business. And that's one of the hardest parts. And Rich is a veteran who's been in Nashville for 22 years. So check that out. Go to www.drumminginthemodernworld.com. That's www.drumminginthemodernworld.com. And if you're a drummer, you need it. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a very talented actor who uh, I hit up on Facebook and then she was kind enough to do the show. My guest is Lila Robbins. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks, David. Now, now, do you play any instruments or do you sing? Is that something that you've uh, ever, <laughs> ever done? Because I don't. I wish I could, but you're you're a great actor. But have you? do you sing or play instruments? I, I do. My, I'm actually, my undergraduate work is in classical piano, but, uh, but I got kind of lonely practicing the piano by myself, so I wandered down the hall to the theater department. So I do still play a little bit, not very much, and I sing a bit, and I did a musical in Pasadena a few years back called Dangerous Beauty. And so I actually have done a professional musical. See, that's... <laughs> and so, they didn't boo me off the stage. Well, that means you're good. You know, that, that would be the worst. Could you imagine yeah. that? If you, if you sit there... Because being on stage is hard enough, but if, if, they, if they started singing and they booed you, I mean, that could shatter someone. That could shatter someone big time. No, it was a lot of fun, and I wanted to take up the challenge. But, you know, I don't have a Broadway type of voice. I'm more of a folky sound, more of a Joni Mitchell sound. But a lot of musicals are tending to kind of lean that way these days. So perhaps there is a future for me. There Who may, knows? There may be. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look into that. So <laughs> now, now you were born in Minnesota, and you're, you know, and now did you, when did you know you wanted to become an actor as a kid did you act i mean or what was it up like growing up and in and you're in the midwest so it's not close to new york or anything when did you start to feel that you wanted to follow this career well i, I, I as a child i put plays on in my basement i believe the first one was rumpelstiltskin of all things you know with the tricycle turned upside down as the spinning wheel um i do remember going to see the cartoon the animation of uh, 101 Dalmatians, and I loved the character of Cruella DeVille so much that I went home and I wrote a play about her so that I could be her, and, you know, put it on in my basement. My mother loved the theater. Um, she was a real uh, theater person. My grandmother did a little bit of, uh, you know, community acting. Um, it kind of started because my, my mom and dad are immigrants from Latvia. And uh, that's a long story. But uh, one of the things that really put a smile on my mom's face was going to the theater. So I think that's sort of where I got the bug. So you got the bug at a young age. And now when did you start pursuing it? I mean, it's so cool that you wrote plays and stuff like that. I mean, as a little kid, I mean, 
most kids, you know, they act things out, cowboys and Indians, stuff like that. You actually wrote a play, which is pretty awesome. I mean, no, that's something, you know, I mean, I, I, I still remember I drew a bear in like fifth grade and my mom still had it. It was a charcoal bear. And I thought that was pretty good, but that, that wasn't a play. That was just a bear. But so, <laughs> so now you a band, did you say a bear a, a bear it was a bear oh, oh it was oh, with charcoal okay. but that was that wasn't oh. a writing a play <laughs> so now when as you were getting older and going into high school did you start joining the drama department or how did you sit there and decide that you were going to do this eventually uh, I don't know I think in church you know I played Mary in the Christmas story it was so funny I was just there recently. And uh, at the, I was performing at the Guthrie, and I went to my old church, my Latvian church, and I made a little joke about making my debut on that stage as Mary. Um, and then it kind of, I think I did some, sh- we did a play maybe in elementary school and then in high school, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and Diary of Anne Frank. Um, but at that time, as, I, as a teenager, I really wanted to focus on music. Uh, and I went to University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, on a music scholarship, um, but then I got very involved in the theater there and started doing summer stock uh, during my summers off, um, and really, really got the bug then. And then a teacher of mine helped me put together an audition to go to grad school, and I got into Yale Drama School where I wanted to go. Now you get into so, Yale, which is which is very impressive. So you get into Yale. Did you did you feel confident when you applied for Yale because it is a very uh, <laughs> It's a very, you know, it's, it's a quite an accomplishment. It's a very prestigious school. Did you feel when you were putting your packet together and all that stuff to send to the college, did you think, I really have a good chance of this, or were you not sure? You know, I really didn't because they only took 10 men and 5 women in a class, and I thought, well, what are my chances? So I auditioned for about 5 different schools. I also applied for a Fulbright, um, and I got the Fulbright, but I I didn't get into... RADA, which is where I wanted to go in London, and Lambda had put me on a waiting list, and uh, there was a school called Weber Douglas that offered me a position, but I didn't know that school. But on that Fulbright committee was the dean of the um, acting school at Yale, so he actually saw me first on this tape for the Fulbright, and then when I went to Chicago to audition to get into the school, he remembered me from that, and he said, you know, you're going to be an American actress, you should study in America. And so I gave up the Fulbright, and I and I went to Yale. And that year, they had ten men and seven women in my class. But I I had no idea what, what was going to happen. I just knew that I wanted to apply to, you know, Juilliard and uh, Seattle had a good program at the time, and and um, ACT in San Francisco and um, Milwaukee had a good program. So I applied to several places, and um, I was just really happy I got into Yale. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. What? goes on when you're in your master's program at a school like Yale, what is the normal day like? What are your course credentials? I mean, is is there uh, so many courses you have to take? Are they teaching? I mean, what do they teach you? I mean, and, and is it very vigorous? Uh, yeah, we were busy, you know, nine o'clock in the morning until midnight because not only were you going to classes, you were also putting projects together and sometimes they were for school and sometimes they were just little side projects that you wanted to, to do for the Yale Cabaret. So we were we were busy, you know, nine in the morning until about uh, probably four in the afternoon with class. Um, the first year we studied Chekhov, Ibsen, Strindberg. Second year we studied verse, Shakespeare, and uh, Jacobean plays. And then the third year we studied the contemporary stuff. But all along with that, we had script analysis 
analysis class with a wonderful uh, theater critic, Stanley Kaufman. We had voice class. We had speech class. We learned dialects. We had fencing. We had movement class with a very dear friend of mine, Wesley Fada, who had been a Martha Graham dancer back in the day, and now he was teaching at Yale, and he's remained one of my dearest friends. Um, so we were, and then on top of that, there's a whole playwriting program there, and all the playwrights would then cast us in their in their new project. So we'd have rehearsals um, in the late afternoon, and then going into the evening. So there was always we were always really really busy. It was it was crazy. If we could if you could survive the school, you could survive you know your career because we were working all the time. Yeah. How did they grade you? Well, what was what was the grading system? Is there is there a grading system when you're getting your you know masters or how does that work? No. There wasn't a grading system. Um, we would have sort of uh, feedback sessions. You know, if we do a project, we would sit down with all, all the the teachers, and they'd sort of critique what we were doing, what we were learning, what kind of breakthroughs we were having. But I don't remember getting any sort of grades. Um, in our school, you know, often schools have this system where they they let a lot of people come, and then and then they get rid of half of them the second year, and then they get rid of more of them in the third year. But Yale isn't like that. If you're in, you're in, and uh, you had the three years. And um, I just remember, I mean, I learned so much from my teachers, but I also learned so much from the other people that were there at the time. It was a really golden age at Yale. We had people like um, Fran McDormand, Jane Kaczmarek, Kate Burton, John Turturro, Rock Dutton, Angie Bassett, Courtney Vance, wow. uh, Chris Nose, Patty Clarkson. These were all people around my time. Um, and I, I learned so much just from my fellow actors and the people in my class. That's an impressive list, i got to tell you that. Um, so, <laughs> no, I mean, like, wow, you know, you sit there, when you think about it, you know, and you think of your contemporaries, you go, wow, you know, I'm, I was really in, you know, the A-Legs, because all of those people, all of you have had wonderful careers, which, you know, a lot of times you don't think, you know, it doesn't always happen like that. Right. I mean, this is over a three-year span. Like, for example, Fran McDonald was two years ahead of me. Patty Clarkson was a year behind me. You know, it, it, it was during kind of the three, four-year span. I mean, where we overlapped. You know, Courtney Vance, I think, was two years behind me. Angie Bassett was a year ahead of me. So it was all kind of during that, during that time. And we all got to work with each other when we got cast in shows and and the classes mixed, you know, for shows, and it was really a, a really wonderful time. I I so loved being there and, and learning from all those wonderful people. So was, uh, I have a lot of nostalgia about it. I can imagine. So so you graduate, and you're now you got to pursue the acting career. What did you right. did you did you decide to go to New York and not LA? I mean, what what was your what was your thought process once you got out of school? And how are you going to take this career by storm? Yeah, at, at my time, you really sort of had to choose were you going to be a theater actor, were you going to be a TV actor, you know, were you going to be a musical actor. Like, now people cross over a lot more. But back then, you know, my, my, my sights were set on um, doing classical theater, say, at a place like the Guthrie in Minneapolis. Um, but I started getting some luck with, you know, a TV and film. But early on, I got... I went to Williamstown after my second year at Yale, and I had a great opportunity uh, to work with Nico Sakharopoulos, who ran the place, and I got to work with all sorts of stars. You know, my first play was with Chris Walken and Diane Weiss. It was a Chekhov play called Ivanov, and 
Nikos cast me in that, and I got to work with Christopher Reeve in an A.R. Gurney play, and, and I was, you know, rubbing elbows with Ed Herman and, you know, uh, Dwight Schultz from the A-Team TV show. You know, there were a lot of um, people that were built to Williamstown at that time, and I was just a young ingenue and, and got my equity card up there through Nikos, and then became kind of transitioned from being an ingenue to being a leading lady. Um, did a really wonderful production of Tennessee Williams' Summer and Smoke with Chris Reeve, which got me a lot of attention in the New York Times. Um, but after my second year at Williamstown, I then uh, had finished school, and I got a contract with American Repertory Theater in Boston, Cambridge, um, under Robert Brewstein. And I was, I was intended to be up there for a year, but about three months into my, my job up there, I... Um, got a job in New York. I got to do The Real Thing with Jeremy Irons, directed by Mike Nichols. Um, they were doing a replacement cast, and Jeremy Irons was returning to the play, and I got cast in the Glenn Close role, and that was a huge break for me. It was my first show in New York, and it made me move to New York. In fact, I didn't even have a place to live. I, I lived at the Penta Hotel across from Madison Square Gardens for a couple weeks until I found a place to live. So it was a really a, a great um, entry into the New York theater scene for what? me. Um, it was a real great opportunity. What goes through a young actor's head when it is their first production in New York? You have Mike Nichols directing. You're taking Glenn Close's place, and you're working with Jeremy Irons. What goes through? Like, how do you grasp all that? Because it's such a big break, and it's it has to be some pressure i mean you must feel a little pressure or some intimidation because you know you're you're in the big leagues you're like that's like it doesn't you got mike nichols you're taking glenn close's place you know that's like a a baseball player taking a hall of famer's place what goes through your mind like that first night that first production i'm sure you rehearsed a lot but what goes through your mind that 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 first that first you know, night? The, the, the crazy thing is that we didn't rehearse that much we rehearsed um about two weeks and we would get together in the afternoon with the with the understudies and uh, Mike Nichols came in for several uh, rehearsals but we also just worked with the stage manager learning the blocking and 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 Mike Nichols would get started on some story and say I feel like having some Chinese and then we'd order Chinese food and we'd hear some more stories and we didn't rehearse that much and I was sort of getting into a panic about it and and uh, thinking, when are we gonna put this thing together um, but I do remember the first night was basically there was a rotating set with these doors and I would leave the scene and go through one door and the dressers would grab me and throw another costume on me and shove me through another door. I mean, I had no idea where I was on that set the first, you know, couple times through. Um, it was sort of baptism by fire. But I think in some weird way, I was maybe a little naive. Like, I, I knew these were, you know, big-time actors, but part of me was trying to keep it sort of normal. So I think I sort of downplayed it in my mind, like, okay, just treat this like another play, like just to keep my nerves together. Um, but I learned so much from Jeremy Irons and later Nicole Williamson took over the role and I got, you know, got to work with several uh, people. Peter Gallagher came through and Stephen Weber came through. And, you know, I went through several different casts. Um, I stayed with it for about six and a half months. But I learned so much. But I remember opening night, you know, my, my dressing room was filled with flowers. And 
it was a little overwhelming. It it sort of felt like, oh my God, I've I've reached this thing that I don't could only dream about, and and here I am, and and now what happens? You know, where do we go from here? Right. <laughs> well, it was just a wonderful, wonderful night. But I think a part of me just tried to keep on an even keel about it. You know, the practical side of me, the Minnesota side of me, tried to, you know, sort of finesse it and and pretend like it wasn't a big deal. I guess. <laughs> so you said you were with that play for six and a half months. Something like that, yeah. And so, yeah. And, and then, then where do you decide to go with your career? Do you decide to stay with theater, or do you, do you have Hollywood calling you because you were in a play, you were with accomplished people, you they know you have talent because if you didn't, you wouldn't be in that production. Was Hollywood swarming around you before that at all, or did they start contacting you? How did that happen? Um. Not really. I mean, when I was still at Yale, I used to come in and audition, and I auditioned for the mean, a movie called The Mean Season with Kurt Russell, and they flew me out, and it was all very exciting. I didn't, I think, I think Mariel Hemingway got the role in the end. No, I mean, it was Rebecca Marnay, I can't remember. Um, but, you know, there were a couple of films that came by. There was a movie with Tom Hanks called The Money Pit. Okay. And when I initially tested for it, they said, oh, Lila, you're, you're funny, but you're not wacky. So, we're going to pass on you for right now. And then they came back months later and said, we actually want you to do it. But at that point, I was still doing the real thing. And I thought, well, I don't know if I'm going to be funny enough. So I sort of, I let it go. And in, in retrospect, I probably should have done it. But um, I had a wonderful agent, Sam Cohen. He, he he's, was Meryl Streep's agent. And um, he, you know, really guided me a lot. But in some ways, perhaps, we were maybe being a little too selective early on. You know, I, I really wanted to have a certain kind of career. I, I, I wanted to do serious movies. You know, I didn't know much about comedy. And I think maybe we kind of over-managed um, the choices I was making because I remember saying no a lot to stuff that I probably should have said yes to. Um, and there were some, some close calls on some other things. Um, it was a movie uh, called Roxanne with Steve Martin. Uh, and I had been cast as Roxanne, but a few months later I was up at Williamstown and the producer called me and said that, you know, this was the first script Steve Martin had written without his writing partner and he was the only star in the movie and they would have to let me go and get a star. So then they hired Daryl Hannah to do the role. So there were a couple of near misses there where, where I just um, had it gone the other way, you know. Things might have uh, rolled out differently, but I'm I'm very uh, grateful for my career. I feel like I've been able to do um, you know theater, film, and television in in a really kind of great way. Um, just alternating those jobs and really feeling like I get to keep my foot in in all those doors that's and I keep learning, and it's and really that, been great. That's great. Now, planes, trains, and automobiles. When you got cast in that, did you think that that movie would be played every I mean it's played every Thanksgiving and holidays and if someone doesn't know what that movie is you sit there and you go I don't even want to talk to you because I've not heard of it I mean seriously it's like and and it was you know it was John Hughes I mean you know how did that part come about and did you think it would have such a lasting a lasting imprint on people um Gosh, I didn't even think about it at the time. Um, 
I do think perhaps, if I'm not mistaken, it partly came out of the fact that I had um, I had tested for Roxanne with Steve Martin, and perhaps he remembered me from that or, or something. I don't know quite how that came together. But it was my first Hollywood movie, and uh, they flew me out, and uh, John Hughes, we went to look at the interior they had built for our home in the movie, and he said, I don't like how this looks, so they sent me home for a week, and they rebuilt it entirely. <laughs> and then I came back out, and they were already, uh, I believe they were like six weeks over overtime and, and millions over budget, and so then they shot all my stuff at the end, um, a lot of which is me at home waiting for them to come back, and then of course they had the wonderful scene with John Candy and Steve Martin at the end, which was so fun. Um, and people really responded to that scene. A lot of people talked to me about the look on my face as I come down the stairs to greet um, Steve Martin and John Candy. Um, it's interesting. A lot of different people have, have talked to me about that moment. And, and perhaps I captured something there that they responded to. Um, but, uh, yeah, they play it all the time. The younger generation often doesn't know the movie because I'll mention it and they won't know what I'm talking about. But... You know, um, anyone of a certain age certainly knows that movie. Yeah, that, that final scene, that is, it, it, it's, it tears you up. You know, it's, it's holidays, you know, and that's a thing. I mean, you guys, all, <laughs> no, and you all deliver it. You know, it's like there's certain things that, you know, tear you up. When I was a kid, Brian's song always teared me up when uh, Billy D. Williams gave the speech. And it's a wonderful life, yeah. people tear up. And Rocky, when he's triumphant and yelling for Adrian. But that's also one of those moments in a movie where it's, it's just, it epitomizes the holidays you know and you he's home you're glad to see him and then you meet Dale Griffith and it's just one of those lasting imprints that people have I mean you know whenever I posted on Facebook I was watching that movie at Thanksgiving and everyone's like oh we love that movie we love that and everyone of course quotes it and then some people try to be funny and you're like yeah don't even you're not going to top the writing on that but so, well, no. I know the two of them had such amazing chemistry Steve Martin and, and John Candy and they couldn't have been sweeter people I mean they were so lovely to me and and uh, so down to earth, and and I mean John can't that character has got to be one of the great you know film characters ever. I mean the sweetness of that man, and as you said, you cheer up, you can't help it. So so you do the movie now. Is your but after you do the movie, is your mind still in the theater, or where are you? You know in your you know in your mind frame. You know it's like you had this. You're in this movie and. Did you want to come to L.A., and did you end up moving to L.A., or did you stay in New York? What did you decide to I, do? I, I guess I decided to pursue theater. I don't know, I was such a theater rat. And I love the classical plays, and I love that kind of material. So I think it was gravitating more towards that. Um, not that you know, not that Hollywood was running after me, but I think in some ways I had an older soul, so I wasn't really fulfilling that young girlfriend kind of spot, you know, I I just always had a, I don't know, a little more gravitas or something, and I feel like I really kind of grew into my career as I got older, actually. But, um, you know, I did a lot of plays, gosh, I can't even remember that part of my life, and then I sort of lucked out with um, the TV show Gabriel's Fire with James Earl Jones in um, 1991. I ended up doing that, so... That was a kind of another sort of step in in a, in a in a bigger career as far as I had like a lead role on a TV show that last it only lasted a year but we did 22 episodes and you know um, 
a lot of those people were nominated for Emmys, and and um, that's when I lived in LA for a little while. What what is a train? And after that, I would go back to LA, you know, for pilot season and stuff. But I always went back to New York. I always felt much more comfortable in New York, basically. What was the transition like, though, for being a theater actor, where it's every night or how many nights you're performing, and that's been a lot of your life. And then you get on Gabriel's Fire, and, and it's a TV show where, you know, it's not the instant gratification of you're in front of the stage. You're you're feeling that energy. All of a sudden, you're in a set, and it's every day. Did, did you adapt to it okay? Or when you were doing it, did you still yearn for the theater? Um, I guess I did yearn for the theater. You know, energetically... If you're a large role in a TV show, you know, you get there early in the morning, you're in the makeup trailer, then, you, you know, you block, it, it's like one big technical rehearsal, and then maybe you get a couple of takes, maybe three if you're lucky. So, I guess part of me as an actor loves to rehearse. I love that process of discovering something and trying something new, and, and there's no time for that in, in, in television. Maybe with film a little bit more, you might have more of a rehearsal period, but it, it's all, it's, um... And there were long days, and, uh, you know, you, you sort of rest, and then you do it. Now time for your close-up, and now you're going to have lunch, and now it's your close You know, it energetically is such a different animal. And also, you're sort of making the choices that you're making in a vacuum, because you're not really rehearsing with the other people that much until you get on the set. So it's a very different uh, thing for me to navigate. And I enjoy it, and I probably enjoy it now more than I did back then, because I just didn't understand the whole process that well. Um, but now, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on Homeland and Murder in the First, and I really enjoy doing television, and I'd really like to do more of it. But I think at the time, I was still maybe intimidated by it or not quite understanding how to work on it in a way that I could be prepared, in a way that would be satisfying to me. And, and now I feel like I understand it more. Now, as you're doing the theater, and you know you're still with theater, I'm sure you go onto uh, like productions into other cities and tours like that. What is that like when you basically you said you know you're a theater rat, you know you hung in New York and then you're Williamstown before that. What is that like when you sit there and you're going to different cities and you don't you know New York you pretty much know the people know theater very well. What was that like for you to go into different cities? And, you know, what were some of the favorite productions you did in different cities and some great experiences you had with them? Well, you know, in fact, I just returned from the Guthrie Theater in in Minneapolis, and St. Paul is my hometown. And uh, I I, I wanted to go there partly because my mom is 86 and I wanted to spend some time with her. But years ago, I had a wonderful, like, 10-year period there where I did... Tennessee Williams, Summer and Smoke, I did Hedda Gobbler, I did Anthony and Cleopatra, and I did a world premiere of an Arthur Miller play where Arthur Miller was hanging out with us and I got to know Arthur very well. Um, so I had great experiences at the Guthrie. It's a beautiful theater. They have a lot of money, so the sets and the costumes are always top, top notch. And um, now they have a new theater, which I performed in. Uh, I just did The Lion in Winter there for them for the last two and a half months. And the audiences there are amazing. I mean, 40,000 people come and see these classic plays, and, uh, and um, they're very appreciative. And, and, you know, you've got people coming in from the farms, you know, to see Hedda Gobbler. They just will come. They come in droves. 
and it's it's wonderful to see that the arts are still alive in these in these cities. Um, I worked a little bit in um, D.C. I did a tour with Uta Hagen, a very uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you know who Uta Hagen is. Yeah. She's a wonderful actress and also a very famous acting teacher. I played Uta's daughter a couple of times in a couple of plays, and we toured a bit. We went to the Kennedy Center, and that was really thrilling to be there with her. Um, and uh, we went to San Francisco with that play. It was called Mrs. Klein. It was about a, a famous um, child uh, psychiatrist and her daughter, who was also a therapist. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I've worked at uh, Baltimore Center Stage back in the day. I did an Ibsen play called Lady from the Sea for a wonderful director, Stan Wojewodzki, who was running the theater at the time. Um, I I love... I love um, for a while, I was trying not to go out of town very much, but um, there's still so many of the classic roles I want to play, and often those opportunities don't come up in New York for me because I'm not a, a movie star. <laughs> so I will go, you know, elsewhere to to have that chance um, to play those roles. Now, how do you, um, I like the big juicy one, you know. How do you get those roles? Is, I mean, do you have an agent who says, hey, you know, she'd be great for this? Or because you've done so much theater, do people say, like like when you went to the Guthrie in Minnesota, did people say, okay, she's been in so many plays, she's from Minnesota, and did they just call and say, we're having this production, we want you to come up here? How does that work for a stage actor and someone who's, you have a very accomplished stage resume, how does it work when you are getting roles, is it a, is it a audition process like that? What's the whole system? Oh, well, sometimes it's an audition, but you know, at this point in my life, it's often an offer. And with the Guthrie, you know, uh, they have a new artistic director, Joe Hodge, um, who took over for Joe Dowling, who ran the theater for twenty years. And so, I wanted to reintroduce myself to the Guthrie. So last summer I, I called up and asked Joe if he'd have lunch with me and he was aware of the things that I'd done there in the previous regime, brainstorming about what play it might be. And then about a month later he, he wrote to me and said, how about, you know, Lion and Winter? And, and so it came together, together in that way. Um, I also work a lot with a wonderful theater company in, in Madison, New Jersey called the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. A friend of mine, Bonnie Monty, runs the theater. And I've been a part of that company for for, uh, I don't know, 25 years now, and often I'll go do um, the classic roles there. Uh, recently, last spring, I did an old Coward play there called Sun at Twilight. So often that's a, a combination of her coming up with a season and saying, hey, there's a part for you, or even me suggesting a play to her and saying, hey, let's do this play, and then she'll put the season together to accommodate that. So um, certain people that I know, artistic directors, I can actually have a conversation and say, hey, I'd really love to do this play. Can we? Can we do? Put you know? Can you do a production? And then it'll come together that way. Um, so that's more offers uh, rather than really auditioning uh, at this point. No, no. Well, I guess my 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 yeah my career in the uh, regional theater is quite established. I guess that's awesome. Now, now when you when you decide like. What do you decide on what kind of roles you want? Like, you know, I know you did uh, the 50th anniversary, I read, of Steppenwolf, uh, Sweet Corner Desire, you did it up there and stuff like that. How do you, yeah. how do you, how was, what was that like? Because it's, I mean, was that a, a great production? Who else was in that production with you? Oh, that was, that's like one of the, I can't, thanks for reminding me of that. It was such an important show for me. 
Um, I auditioned for Terry Kinney, who is the director. I had done a movie with Terry. One of my first movies was an independent film called A Walk on the Moon. That's not the one with Viggo Mortensen. It's a different Walk on the Moon. And uh, Kevin Anderson was also in that. We went to Mexico and made that. So Terry remembered me from, from playing my husband in that movie. And I auditioned for him. Um, and he gave me the role. It was Gary Sinise with Kowalski and John C. Riley with Mitch and Katie Irby with Stella. And, you know, it was directed by, and Amy Morton was Eunice, the lady upstairs, the neighbor. And that production was so fantastic. We actually filmed it for Lincoln Center Library. So one can actually go to Lincoln Center Library and see it. Um, I did that, yeah, years ago. And then I played Blanche again here for New Jersey Shakes. Um, but that, I was a little, uh, terrified that Steppenwolf would be super intense and they'd be, you know, smashing chairs around me, <laughs> but they couldn't have been nicer. And Gary Sinise, you know, we'd come in every day, you know, we were so beat up by the show. It was a three and a half hour show. And we would go up at five o'clock on Saturday. And just as we did the curtain call, we'd start walking down the stairs and they'd say half hour. And we would literally have a protein shake and go back out there and do it again for three and a half hours so it was a crazy schedule and every day Gary would come in and say you know who do you see today and I'd say my chiropractor my voice doctor and my masseuse who do you see and then he'd hand me like a, a box you know a, a tub of bath therapy and we just would exchange you know stories about what physical condition we were in for the day and we extended that run and it was a really wonderful time for me, and I and I won the uh, Joseph Jefferson Award uh, that year for playing Blanche. Now, what's the Joseph? Uh, which is kind of the it's kind of the Tony equivalent in Chicago. Okay, so now what is it mentally yeah. like when you sit there and you just said you're doing a three and a half sh- uh, hour show and then a half an hour break, another one? How do you mentally come down from that after the show? Because you know, it, you know, in your mind, you're giving your busting your chops, you're doing this production, you have a, yeah. a little bit of a break, you're doing it again, and then, you know, when you get home after, you want to relax, but you know it's the same thing the next day. How do you mentally come down? I mean, how? What, what's your the mental come down? Because it has to be, you know, just exhausting. It's just not yeah. just physically, but mentally, you just must walk out. Like, after, you're, you're on stage for seven hours. I mean, you're doing, and it's like, I mean, what would yeah. you do to... I mean, how do you blow off steam and knowing you have to come back well, the you next know, day? You know, as much as I wanted to go out and have a glass of wine, you know, I really had to live like a, a monk or a nun or whatever because I, I, at the time, you could smoke in bars, so I couldn't go into the smoky bars because of my voice because uh, doing the southern accent was very taxing on, on my voice because Blanche had sort of a breathy quality and... So I was having vocal challenges. Uh, I couldn't drink any alcohol because it would dry out my voice. I literally would go home, steam my voice with this like personal steamer thing, take a bath with the bath therapy that Gary had given me, um, you know, and just try to you know watch David Letterman until two in the morning, and then see if I could sleep, and then hopefully sleep, you know, till ten or eleven, and then wake up and see what kind of voice I had left, and then you know, slowly ease my way into the day and then maybe work out a little bit to get the blood flowing and then go back and do it again. And it, it's just this little hamster wheel of, um, of self-maintenance, really, and self-care. And, uh, and, it's, and, your, and your social life really kind of takes a hit 
or at least mine did, because I, I had to take care of myself in that way. You know, other people may have, have uh, cords of steel or something, but uh, Blanche does a bit of talking, and I, and I wanted to protect myself. So it... You there? A person that it did sort of get to me after a while. I felt very fragile by the end of it all, you know, and then we extended, and I was I was pretty toasty by the end of that run. But I also like that feeling, you know, I like to be, you know, of use. I like to be used up in that way, and, and I guess that's part of my attraction to the theater is I, I enjoy that feeling of kind of giving it my all, you know. Now, you've been doing theater for a long time. Through your career, what kind of roles have you sought out? Like, what kind of roles do you sit there and go, is there any roles you got that you said, man, I want that, and you aggressively went after it? Or, and, and how do you pick, like, who you want to play? Because there's so many different plays, and you've done such a wide variance of work. What I mean, And has that changed as you've gotten older, the typical, like, the kind of role you would want to play? Well, you know, I've often played people who are pretty emotionally distressed. And uh, I remember once asking my own therapist at the time, why do I keep getting these crazy roles? And she said, because you're strong enough. To, to deal with them. You have the resiliency to, to, to be that person and then to sort of go back to, you know, an even place in yourself and maintain yourself. I, I do like the intense roles. You know, I, I like the Cleopatras, the, you know, the Lady Macbeths, the, I did a crazy play called That Face where I played this bipolar alcoholic, emotionally incestuous mama. You know, I, I like I like that you know to read a play like a new play, and I and I have this feeling that if I start if my blood starts to circulate in the opposite direction, and I start getting scared, that there's probably something there that I want to explore. Like sometimes it's something that kind of frightens me, or I go, oh gosh, could I pull that off? Could I do that? And the challenge of it is kind of what it, um, draws me to it. Um, I love you know all the big Chekhov roles. I love. Oh, I did Strindberg's Dance of Death. You know, that's sort of a fight to the death with another actor. I mean, I like I like the ones where had a gobbler. You know, I like I like the big juicy ones. And uh, you know, I have a friend who says, "Oh, you're doing another screamer." You know, she said, "You're always in the place that you're screaming." <laughs> but I I like that. I also early on in my career, I liked playing people that were uh, very passionate, but maybe somewhat repressed. Um, I liked playing that that push pull of that dynamic in like the Tennessee Williams characters like Alma and Summer and Smoke. Uh, um, I like playing those people. Um, as I've gotten older, I, I guess I'd like to explore some lighter lighter fare. You know, maybe some some Philip Berry or some lighter stuff. I did a production of Noises Off that was so much fun. Um, that was really fun. Uh, but I guess many people view me more as a sort of a tragedian. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, but I do enjoy uh, doing comedy as well. In fact, this production of The Line in Winter, you know, we, we got all the laughs we could get. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I like something that's challenging, I guess. Now... I'm not the kind of person who wants to do a play and, like, pop in and 
pop out and you know have one or two scenes. I really, I want to be on stage the whole time. I want to get on stage. I want to stay on stage and take the journey. You know, energetically. That's what I like. Now, now, as you've been doing the plays, you've also, you know, you looked on IMDb. You've also done t- different TV productions. Uh, did you try to get more productions in the New York area? Because I saw you were in Law, Law and Order, and then you were in The Sopranos. How did The Sopranos come about? Uh, I auditioned, um, uh, and I don't know if they tested me or not. And I was sort of surprised because, you know, playing this Italian mama is not exactly, you know, where I come from. Uh, but I guess there was something about me that was sort of like Nancy Marchand because I was playing Nancy Marchand in flashbacks. And they gave me this wig and they and they, they actually changed my nose a little bit to be more like Nancy's. And I thought it was a really kind of a character stretch for me and it was really fun to do that. Um, and I enjoyed that, doing that character, that character role. I did a lot of stuff for HBO. I did a, you know, I did a Sex in the City. I did a four-episode arc on uh, In Treatment with Gabriel Byrne. What I was, did Bored to Death, what where was, I was, you know, Ted Danson's ex. What was, it, what was, yeah. it, what was In Treatment like? Because that was almost like written like a play, because your scenes are in, you know, a lot of them were in the therapy room. What was that like shooting? I mean, you know, was that, was that, did you have, was that more of a theater feel for you? Uh, not really. Oh, well, no, but it was a great feeling because the scenes were very contained and my scenes were all with Gabriel Byrne, who's amazing, and uh, Diane Weist, who is amazing. Um, I felt very privileged and honored to be on that set. Um, the work they were doing there was just incredible, and I, I just really enjoyed it. And and I felt like it was a good fit for me. I really, I really liked the aesthetic of that show. And um, you know, it wasn't an action kind of thing. It was a more heady sort of piece, and I really, really liked it. Now, when you signed up for that, did you know it would be four episodes, or did you think it might just be one, or how did that work? Uh, I think they told me it was going to be a four-episode arc. You know, the show was based on a series that was created in, in Israel, if I'm not mistaken. So at that point, they were still um, doing seasons that had been made before. So there was no sort of, we don't know where this is going to go. It was a, it was a show that they were then replicating. So... Uh, that was pretty upfront about that it would be four episodes. I really didn't want it to end, but yeah, that's how it was. Now, uh, and then of course I had a lot of fun with Homeland. It was a great opportunity for me. Yeah, as you say, well, also, but with bored, bored to death. That I mean, that, that was one of those shows that uh, everyone I talked to who watched that, we were all, we were all pissed that it got canceled because it had such a great, oh yeah, it had such a great. Uh, it was just funny and it had such a great um, cast. I mean, it was just such a great cast. What was it like working with Ted Danson? Because, you know, the guy is one of these guys who just makes it look easy in my eyes. Like, you see him, like, he doesn't pick bad projects. And he's just, he's just such a pro. And he can go from, you know, Cheers to then CSI. Or what was it like working with him? I mean, was he the utmost professional? And is it, and when you work with someone who probably nails their lines all the time, 
you being a stage actor, that must be a sigh of relief because I'm sure you've worked with people who you sit there and go, oh my God, it's three lines. I just remembered all of Streetcar Named Desire. You know, I mean, what is it like when you, when you, like, was he a pro and did you have fun working with him? Did you guys really nail the scenes very quickly? Yeah. He was, he was a dream to work with. So nice, so professional, so lovely. And I was, you know, intimidated by the, by, by the, by the, Two of them. Um, I'm blanking at the other young man's name. Is that um, Galapagos? Uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman. No. Yeah, Jason. Jason Schwartzman. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, the two of them were just hysterical. I was more of a straight, straight man, you know. I was sort of feeding the, the straight lines, and I just watched them go at it, you know. Um, really amazing comic talents. I mean, I was actually rather intimidated by how fabulous they were and how easy they seem to put things together and make it funny i i was just sort of along for the ride <laughs> um they were they were great it was a lot of fun um uh but i was more the straight man so you know but boy to spend time with them and watch them navigate the comedy it's really a whole is a whole thing unto itself um which i'd like to learn more about you know they were fun. You, they were fun. Have you uh, tried to get roles more in the comedy area, or is it something that you're, something that you don't, as you said, you want to learn more, something you don't feel that you can nail as good as you do the other roles? I mean, would you like to do more comedy? I would, and my agent keeps telling me how funny I am when I'm, like, just dealing with her. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got to also change people's perceptions of you as well, and that's, that's harder, um, harder than you think. So, um, I would, I would like to do a, a sitcom or, or, or a half hour comedy or something. I think that would be a lot of fun. So, we keep looking, you know, for the right ones. Uh, I did a very short lived web series called The Onion, um, that had some comic potential, uh, but it didn't, it didn't, uh, get picked up in the end, so, um, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I hope, you know, something comes my way. Well, now you mentioned Homeland, we'll and, and it's funny because I have to I have to go through my vast files of shows, but I think that you and Mark Moses are the only on-screen married couples that have been on my show. I'm not sure. I've had real-life married couples on my show, but you. <laughs> but I think you and Mark were the only ones. Homeland... Did you watch, well, do you watch TV because you're on the stage a lot? I mean, is there TV you pursue to watch or is there shows that if you want to try to get on, you'll watch? Did you, do you watch TV a lot or at all or no? You know, I really don't. I'm kind of a news junkie. I find myself, you know, tuning into CNN more than anything else. Um, and then maybe binge watching, you know, later some, some series. But um, I have to admit, I, I, I haven't really kept up with a lot of the, the new stuff. Um, but if I get a job, then I'll, then I'll start to watch the show. Right. I literally remember, like, flying to Cape Town to shoot Homeland and literally binge-watching, like, as much of it as possible so that I could get a, a feel for the for the aesthetic and uh, how I would fit into the whole thing. And, you know, not only the actors that I got to work with and the script writers are amazing, uh, the producers were amazing. I also had the, the great pleasure and joy of being in Cape Town, South Africa for five and a half months. And that was an adventure into itself, which I will never forget. It was really just a gift, a really wonderful gift. 
Now, when you knew when you, when you knew that role was coming up, did you know that it would be taking you out of town, or did they just say we have an audition for you, or did they tell you we have an audition and it's going to take you to Cape Town? I mean, what was that process? Uh, they said it was an audition, and you were going to go to Cape Town for six and a half, five and a half months. And I was that you know uh, I I wanted I wanted to do that. I thought that would be amazing. Um, as it turns out, Alex Danza, the producer, writer, creator, um, had remembered me from the first season I auditioned to play the president's wife, uh, which I think ultimately Talia Balsam played. And so he had remembered me from that uh, a little bit. And so I auditioned at my agent with an assistant reading with me and taping me. And I thought, well, you know, I'll never hear from these people again. And uh, like a week later, they said, the job's yours. I didn't even have to test uh, with that one. It was just mine. It just dropped out of the sky. It, it was an amazing thing. Now, now, when you go away for five and a half months, do they put you up? Or in like, how often do you shoot? And then how do you get to navigate the town? And, and after five and a half months, did you feel like you saw everything in Cape Town? Uh, yeah. You know, I did like, uh, what did I do? Eight out of... 12 episodes or something like that. So there would be the odd episode where I'd read it and go, oh, I'm not in this for the next 10 days. How do I fill my life, you know? So I made a lot of local friends. I made friends at the gym. I made a, a friend of a clothing designer, this woman and her family and her children. And I made friends with people at yoga class. Uh, I go hiking with people. I met some Americans at the top of this mountain that I climbed and they we started hiking together, you know? I had to be kind of... Uh, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, in, in, in creative and inventive about keeping myself occupied. Um, and then, of course, the days I worked were fabulous and fun. But there was a lot of time I had to fill. They gave us a, a housing stipend, uh, but then we had to, along with the people who produced it, they helped us find a place to live. But we all had to rent, you know, apartments or houses and find that. And I got this great place that was very near the hotel where all the guest stars would come in and stay. So I, I could kind of meet people for dinner very easily. I, I was, I'm such a New Yorker. I wanted to be in a place where I could walk, you know, to the gym and I could walk to my grocery store because I didn't want to learn how to drive on the left side, which is what they do over there. So I wanted to be able to walk anywhere I needed to go. And I had a wonderful time and went on safari and, and they have they have vineyards there and whales and safari and I mean it, it's just beautiful. I mean they have a lot of political problems and a lot of poverty, uh, but boy the natural beauty there is cannot be beat. It was heaven. It was beautiful. What's the feeling that goes through you? Because everyone says you know when you when you leave a series you know it's it can be depressing, but when you leave a series that's in a in another country, it must just be a whole different cycle. Yeah, you know, I was hoping I'd come back, but the series, and they jumped like two and a half years into the future, and they, every year they kind of reboot the show. So um, I had been hoping to come back, but they kind of ended our storyline, um, uh, Mark and I. The other funny thing is that Mark Moses, uh, when I first started the show, I, I didn't 
know that I had a husband in the show, and then about a weekend, they said, oh, yeah, you've got this husband. I'm like, oh, who's that going to be? They said, Mark Moses. And I had met Mark when I was at Yale Drama School, and he was performing at the Longwood. So I'd known him like 30 years ago, but I hadn't really seen him since. <laughs> but it, it, it was like someone familiar who, it was great to have that, you know, knowing him from that long ago. So it had felt like you'd been married for 30 years. So it was a great casting clerk, you know, now, no, for us. Now, you've done a lot of stuff in New York. Now, you also did Murder in the First, which I got to tell you, Murder in the First yeah. was one of those shows that, you know, Lombardo's been on twice, Raphael's been on, Curry's been on. Uh, this, they, they've been, I've gotten lucky with uh, the stars of that show. What was it like? Because now okay. you were shooting in L.A. I mean, you don't you don't come out to L.A. a lot, do you? Um, after Gabriel's Fire in 1991, I went out for a couple of pilot seasons, but then I stopped and I really just decided I would I would pursue whatever it was I was chasing here in New York. And if a TV thing came along, then I would do it. But the days of kind of going out there and setting up camp, I wasn't going to do that anymore. But I loved being in L.A. this time. I really enjoyed it. I got smarter about it. I, I found a place to live that was literally a five-minute drive to the studio, to starters. So I didn't have to deal with traffic. I discovered the Disney Concert Hall, and, and every weekend I was going to a concert there. I was kind of finding the theater um, out there that I might enjoy. I have a few friends out there now that I really, some girlfriends that I really love to see, Smoothie Kurtz and Deborah May. Um, these are gals that I love spending time with. Um, I, you know, would take, take trips up to Big Bear and, and, and drive up to Ojai. You know, I, I really made um, the time be what I wanted it to be. I, I sort of took more charge of it, you know, instead of sort of letting the wind blow me wherever. Um, so I felt I felt a lot better in, about being in L.A. this time around. And I would happily go back to L.A. to, to do a series. I would really, I really enjoyed it this time. It was a good show. And, and I, I may be wrong, but I think uh, you were in some scenes with a girl I've known for years. We used to work in a restaurant together, and her name is Sheena. Sheena Nielsen. I think she played your. You had a you had a girlfriend on Murder in the First, right? Right. Was she the was she the girlfriend's lawyer? Yes. Yes. I work with her. In the, in the. Oh yeah, she was lovely. Yeah, I, I remember. I that just came to me I'm like, oh my god, she was in a scene with that. So 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 you love to come back oh, to yeah. LA. It's a small world. So now now what are you are you are you what are you working on right now? Well, I just got back from the Guthrie, and I am sitting here waiting with baiting, bated breath, you know. Bring it on. I, I, my agents are actively looking for a TV show, um, movies, you know. Um, I'm slated to do an independent film in the fall. Um, I probably might go to, up to Williamstown to do a new play. Uh, I was up there last summer working on a new play. Um, you know, I'm open to whatever is coming my way, and I... I would really love to do another TV show. So, you know, from my uh, lips to God's ears, let's see. Let's see what happens. <laughs> now, now, now when, you, when you get done a play, like you said, you just got back from the Guthrie, do you, do you look to take some downtime? Or are you one of these people that, you know, just says, okay, I got done? Because as you said, theater, you know, it's such a active, active life. You're yeah. working all the time. You, you don't have the free yeah. time. You can't sit in a trailer and read your magazines do you look forward to downtime or are you someone who sits there and goes i'm back okay i i'm 
back in New York. I've re you know I've gotten my life back together after being out of town for all the time. Everything's organized in my uh, my place. Do you sit there and then start looking right for work, or do you like to take a little bit of time off, or or what? Where are you when it comes to that? Oh no, no, I'm the kind of person who just wants to work. I want to work. You know, I don't, I don't have children, so I don't have any uh, responsibilities that way. Um, I, I have a, a partner, uh, Robert Cuccioli, but he's out of town right now doing a play, so I, I don't even have to cook for him right now. Right. So, um, <laughs> You know, and uh, and when you say getting the place organized, I am sort of purging my office of old scripts and things, trying to get a little organized in that department. Um, and uh, I guess I've got to bust up all my DVDs, right? All the stuff I've gotten from the Television Academy. You can't just let those go out there floating, so I've got to bust up all those. And You know, there's a couple of projects around the house, but I really want to work, and I, I really want to work so I can get away from... Um, you know, my office. I, I I don't really want to look at this mess anymore. I really just want to go work. <laughs> is, 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 there, is, uh, yeah. is there any theater role that you haven't had a chance to play that you would really want to play? Is there any one of those roles where you, you know, because you've played so many different things, you know, Street Corner Desire, Ooh. Anthony Cleopatra. Is there any role that you said, man, I want to play this and I'll play it in my basement if I have to. Is there any role that you really want to sink your teeth into? Uh, I have done, done a lot of them, you know. I'm sure I, I want to do Long Day's Journey and Tonight. I almost got close to doing that at one point here. Um, I really want to do Arcadena in uh, The Seagull, check out The Seagull. Uh, I'm sure there's a handful of Shakespeare things that I'd like to do. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to do a great new play, you know, with a great crazy role. Um, you know, I, as I said, anything that's sort of all-consuming and, and, and uses me up, I, I really like that. Uh, but yeah, I guess I should start to make more of a conscious list of, yeah. of what I want. You know, they say, <laughs> you write it down, you manifest it more quickly or something. Exactly. It's one of those things to um, say. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's what we got to get you. We get you got to think of that. Work on that list. Work on that list. And uh, I, I want to work on that list. Yeah. I, I want to thank you for coming on. I, I, it's funny because I did I did send you a message at Facebook on Thanksgiving, and me and Joanne were visiting her mom in New Jersey, and we were watching planes, trains, and automobiles. And I remember seeing a picture of you on Facebook with Spencer Garrett, who's been on the show a few times, and he was backstage at a right. show with you, and I put it in mind, I said, I I want to get her on my show. And so I'm glad you responded to my message, and I'm glad you came on, because it was great talking to you, and you have a wonderful career, and it's just, it's always good to talk to people who have constantly worked and are just still, you know, still love what they do. I love what I do. I can't imagine doing anything else, and I feel so lucky to have been able to be all these different people and explore all these different lives, you know. I just feel really, I feel really blessed, and and the business has been good to me, and you know, there's more to come, and, and there's more to learn, and, and I just hope it, it keeps flowing, um, and I'm really grateful. Great. Well, I appreciate talking to no, you. Thank you, and people, so check her out, and it's L-A-I-L-A-R-O-B-I-N-S. Go to IMDB. Check out her back work. Go watch it. You got Netflix. There's no choice. So check her out. Also, check me out. <laughs> coopertalk.net. You can also email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. 
Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. I'm always tweeting. I'm always having fun. Instagram and words with friend, Cooper Talk One. Uh, Instagram is mostly promoting the show and pictures of food because you know when I went through my uh, heart problem for years ago, I wrote the cookbook. Go to StopTheSalt.com, buy my cookbook. You can buy it on Amazon.com, but if you buy it from me, I make more money and I'll sign it for you. So go to StopTheSalt.com, look up Lila, uh, keep listening to my show. Don't forget also my friend Rich, uh, Rich Redmond's great product, world. If you want to be a drummer, you got to buy that product. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next week.